This is the Ad Hero Podcast, the podcast that reveals marketing tips, trends, and techniques by industry experts, insiders, and influencers. For years, AdSymbol has helped businesses develop and launch campaigns to amplify their message, establish authority, and earn their lion's share of the market. This podcast will help you design and supercharge your plan to make an impact with valuable lessons you can apply in your business today. To get more information or start now, visit adsymbol.com. That's A-D-S-E-M-B-L-E.com. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ad Hero Podcast. My name is Gino Giovanni. And I'm Matthew Olivieri. And we're your personal ad heroes. heroes. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are, uh, as you guys, if you're tuning into the video version of this episode, you'll notice that Gino and myself are rocking some special gear today. That's right. We're repping our beloved Golden State Warriors. The Dubs, they just won the NBA championship. Yeah, go Dubs! Yeah. You know, I just gotta say, man, you know, growing up in the barrier for people that don't know, uh, I just want to give this quick anecdote about the Golden State Warriors basketball team. NBA go team, ahead. they've been around for a long time. Um, and for many, many, many years, they were the laughing stock of the NBA. They could not string together three wins for the life of them. Uh, in fact, as a kid, I remember them advertising. It's a marketing advertising show. I remember the Warriors advertising locally to come out and see the other team play. So, like, their ads were like, hey, come see Kobe Bryant play the Warriors. Come see Michael Jordan play the Warriors, right? It was always like this kind of messaging, right? Come see Shaq. Um, that's how bad the Warriors were. Of course, uh, if you're a sports fan, you may remember the Latrell Sprewell choking incident where he choked then head coach oh my God, I Don yeah. Nelson. That, that was no, 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 game. no. He didn't coach. He didn't choke Don Nelson. That was the was it a coach, different coach. Two coaches after Don Nelson, because remember oh, Don Nelson's memory. son, and then it was um, I forget the guy's name, but he was eventually the coach for the Portland Trailblazers, I believe. He had a beard. Good, good memory. Yes, you're correct. Yeah. Anyways, that became worldwide news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, so as a kid, <laughs> I just never expected that I would actually ever see the Warriors win a championship in my life. Let alone <laughs> now I've got to see them win four, four, baby. I'm pumped yeah. up and I want this roller coaster to keep going. So you know what? Hey, it's never too early to say, let's get five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, heck, I remember the days of Chris Weber, you know, he, yep. he came on, to, he came on to the Warriors and right. it was, he had a That's great right. rookie season. They got to the playoffs and then that first round, like it looked like they were going to win and then they That's ended right. up losing and and uh, the next season, Chris Webber caused all this drama, and That's he ended right. up leaving the Warriors. And as Came soon as he left the Warriors, the Warriors were downhill for like years, maybe even yeah, a they decade. Were. Yeah, they got really bad after that. Um, anyways, we we won't turn this into a sports podcast because there's plenty of those out there. But just the quick, I almost want little, to. <laughs> I almost do too. It's kind of fun, and I, I feel like you and I could roll off each other pretty good on that tip. But well, I just want one point. I just want one go, point. Go for on, it, my on our On our platform, I really want to say this. And I think that there's enough evidence right now to prove that 
uh, LeBron James is not the GOAT. I can oh. just go off on a whole – we should do a quick wow. hit on that. Yeah. All right. There's All enough right. evidence If anyone right out there now. listening wants to, wants to challenge us on that, come on. Come on Anchor. Come on Spotify. Come on iTunes or YouTube and drop come some comments. Come on ESPN. Comments. Come on Fox challenge, Sports. Challenge, challenge my – Challenge my my colleague Gino here if you believe LeBron James is the GOAT. Um, I'm going to stay neutral on that subject at this point in time only because he's still actively playing. And I think true GOAT Mm. status, uh, I think the converse for me, the GOAT conversation comes into play when a player retires because then they can no longer add any more accolades to their – I, the resume, so to speak, right? Uh, that's kind of when I like to look back and go, was he really the GOAT? You know, people talk about Joe Montana versus Tom Brady, right? As an, as an NFL example. So um, is LeBron James in the discussion for GOAT? Possibly, yes, but I think it remains to be seen. Although, hey, you got Steph Curry now, finals MVP, just put a fourth chip on his fingers. If he gets five, Man, you you might have to throw Steph Curry in that mix. Anyways, we're not going to make this a sports podcast. Uh, we'll save that for another time. But it is fun to rep the Warriors gear. It is fun to to, to come on the pod this morning and say what's up uh, to Warriors Dub Nation everywhere and be excited about that. So, uh, But we got a fantastic show today. Gino, who do we have as a guest on the Ad Hero podcast today? Okay, so this morning we have Frederick Valles, co-founder of Optimizer, and he'll be talking yeah. about marketing in an unpredictable world, and it's and been pretty unpredictable since 2020. Yeah, and it really has, and uh, specifically, he's going to be throwing in some juicy nuggets about some radical changes that are going to be taking place by Google uh, in terms of how you understand website traffic and what's happening on your site. This is critical information to know. Uh, Gino, you may be familiar with this, but have you been going on websites lately where they keep doing this pop-up saying you have to accept the cookies for them yeah, to track you? Yeah, that's been happening a lot. I thought it was just my okay. browser. That is a new law that was put into place <laughs> where every website has to consistently be advising you that they're tracking your movement on their site using cookies. And if you opt out of that experience, then certain website features may not work for you. Because this, because they're you opted out of that experience. So most p- times people just default and they go, okay, I'll accept all the cookies, right? But that gives the website and the company behind the website permission to track your movement, track your clicks. So long story short, Google Analytics historically helps you as a website owner, a business owner, see some of that data and then optimize your website against that data. Well, Frederick is going to come on today and he's going to tell you guys some key things you need to know about some big changes that Google's going to be making to that experience. It's a great interview. Really excited to bring it to you guys today. Excellent. Excellent. Um, So Matthew, you had quite the upgrade recently, speaking of tech uh, in your phone plan. Yes. Wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. uh, Real quick. I just want to tell you guys there, there is, um, I want you guys to, to, to keep an eye out for specials with your cell phone service provider. Um, I recently upgraded my phone over the last weekend to a better plan. And when I say a better plan, uh, I actually mean a cheaper plan, but it still has the same amount of gigs and unlimited text uh, and uh, uh, megabits, all the stuff I need to, to stream and do all the stuff I do. 
Um, I am on the Verizon wireless platform. Um, that is not a plug for them. They are not paying us for that. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just to illustrate the fact that if you're on Verizon wireless, they have a, a program right now where you can actually get what they're calling a Disney bundle. And you get uh, – so it's a cheaper plan. Um, and you get the bundle is Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for like 10 bucks extra per month. All three of those. Now, individually, I was actually subscribing to ESPN Plus, And separately, I was subscribing to Disney Plus. I, I did not previously have Hulu. Although, Gino, you and I were talking about this. And Hulu has really stepped up their content. Game oh, yeah, lately. big time. They okay. have some great original content on Hulu now uh, and more coming. So it was like something that like I was very highly interested in getting was like Hulu. And I was like, oh, great. I'll have to go sign up for another plus service, right? That's kind of we, – we've made a joke about that here on the show um, that, geez, by the time you end up signing up for all these individual streaming services, damn near your cable might be cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it actually <laughs> right? is. If, yeah, if if yeah. you get if you get all the major uh, uh, online right. Discovery platforms, Discovery Plus, HBO Max, all that, Amazon, Netflix, right? Apple. Yeah. So, anyway, it actually costs more. You, ha- I had to go digging for this a little bit on the Verizon Wireless website to discover this special package that they have. And frankly speaking, I don't know if this is a promotional thing that they're going to have for a long time or a short time, but I got hooked up with it. It's badass. I'm paying a lower rate per month for my cell phone bill, and now I get all three streaming services. So I just wanted to give that shout-out here on the show that if you guys are with Verizon Wireless, log into your dashboard, see if that offer exists for you in your area, um, and hey, why not capitalize on it? You get great content on those three streaming services and a cheaper cell phone plan. Gino, what's your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, first of all, uh, that's awesome to hear. And uh, second, yeah, uh, why not bundle, especially uh, with these mega corporations that own like a lot of these streaming services? Um, why not give like a deal to a, uh, a cell phone provider to give to its user base so that they can watch all your content? Because, you know, this is like the wild to me, I always like to say this is like the wild west um, because it's still fairly new, all these new uh, plus channels. Um, all these new online streaming services where it's, you know, we're, we're still kind of all like testing the waters here and you right. know, some are free. Some you pay for a month, some you pay, some you pay for a month or you have the option to pay for a year. Um, there's just so many different options to choose from now. And, a lot then, of and then, yeah. And then, and then the other thing is, it's just that the, the amount of content on, on each of them. And then like, if you want to catch all the major shows, well, shoot, there's a lot of major shows on every single one of the major platforms or I keep saying platforms, uh, streaming services that there are. Um, right. so it's, it's, it's not a bad deal. I think that's a great deal. Uh, again, this is not a plug for Verizon or Disney. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it. I'm, I'm glad that they're still doing that. I'm, yeah. I'm going to finish on that point right in there. Uh, but uh, so Matthew, speaking of Disney and the most magical place on earth, uh, there has been a shakeup yet again, internally this time. Uh, we have a few different companies to really like uh, touch upon this here in the A block. We have Disney 
that had like a shakeup uh, with a major executive uh, fired by the CEO, Bob Chapek. And Larry Ellison, former Oracle CEO, who was uh, invested a billion dollars into Tesla and became a board member, is just suddenly stepping down. Now, these stories are about like a week old now. Uh, however, we really wanted to touch upon this on the Ad Hero mm. podcast. And, I, and Matthew, being a CEO and having a board of directors inside Ad Symbol Inc., I want to get your take on the climate of a CEO or board members and uh, get your perspective on these particular uh, situations right here. Yeah, well, the Bob, the, to give some backdrop on the Bob Chapek story, this was, uh, I believe it was the head of, was it 21st Century Fox uh, uh, that was uh, unexpectedly fired? Was that correct, Gino? That's right. That's right. As uh, uh, according to Variety, actually, I, I uh, sh should have brought this up right in here. The um, the the soft-spoken British executive who was ousted on a uh, couple of Wednesdays ago from the TV job at Disney, in the says here in, in Variety, in the 2000s he leveraged those ties to boost the performance of Fox Searchlight Pictures, with hits such as Moulin Rouge, Slumdog Millionaire, and most often not, Rice lets the directors and producers and actors take the bows. Um, as it states right in here, the low maintenance demeanor would uh, service Rice well in Murdoch's empire as he became close to the families in the 2009 Entertainment Network. So what happened was he had like a really good name inside Fox. And then uh, a year and a half, two years after Disney acquired Fox in that major deal here, there was a shakeup because – you know, Disney's just been having a lot of internal problems lately. Um, you know, we can probably get into that later. But uh, what had happened was, was that this man right in here, Rice, was a threat to the CEO of Disney. And then what happened was, was that because he had such a good name, Bob Chapek felt that he was a threat to him and fired him. And then what happened was, was that the board directors backed Bob Chapek for that particular fire. And then to step in place, uh, there was a coworker of Peter Rice's who worked with him in, uh, in, in, in Fox. And uh, it was actually uh, a woman who stepped in, her name was Dana Walden, and who would be taking his place, Peter Rice's place that is, uh, in the Fox area of the whole Disney empire. So, uh, you know, it, 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 what it basically looks like on paper is that this guy was a threat to the CEO because Disney has been just having a lot of internal problems in the last couple of months. And that now the CEO was like, you know what? I'm going to eliminate this threat. This guy's contract is up in a year and a half who we just paid $60 million. And you know what? I'm not going to have him take my job. So I'm going to oust him now. And he can keep his $60 million, but I'm going to keep my job. I mean, I think you just spelled it all out. I don't, I don't even know what other comment I have to make on that. That's, that's exactly what my <laughs> thoughts would be as well. Uh, you know, whether, whether or not that's justified, whether or not that's in the best interest of the entire Disney universe uh, and, this, and all the shareholders, uh, it sounds like a very uh, egotistical, uh, uh, narcissistic move. 
by Bob Chapek. But again, I'm not in the mind of him. I don't know if behind closed doors, maybe there was a strife there between himself and Peter Rice that has not yet come out. Uh, but on paper, it looks to be exactly what you just said. Somebody who Peter Rice had the backing and the favor of so many people and would probably potentially be a fantastic CEO for Disney and Bob Chapek maybe seeing that on the horizon and trying to get in front of it and saying, no, I'm going to keep my posts. You're out. I'm in. And then, of course, the board at that point uh, is going to do what every board of directors would do. They're going to back what the CEO's decision was, uh, because if they don't, if the board comes out and says, we don't agree with that move, Bob Chapek should not have done that. Well, then Disney stock would have done a down the toilet bowl uh, spiral mm. because uh, that just signals that there is no um, uh, coordination between the CEO and the board. And that's disastrous on many levels. So no matter what, the board was going to back what Bob Chapek decided to do in this situation. Um, again, it will remain to be seen how the fallout of this affects future programming, um, original show content, things of that nature. But something tells me that we haven't heard the last of Mr. Peter Rice. Oh, no, no, no. He, yeah, I, I think he's going to uh, go home and kind of uh, uh, rest because it's like, look, he's, he's paid for the next year and a half. He's got $60 million. He could essentially retire if he really wanted to. Uh, but I also have a feeling that he is going to be a well sought out uh, person in Hollywood because apparently his, he has a great reputation and a great track record. Okay, let's continue on. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Uh, so um, now being the host of a great show called MJO Snaps on Twitch. Yes, yes. Uh, which you, got, you all have to check out, by the way. How, how can they check that out? Twitch.tv slash MJO Snaps. It's on your That's dial great. Mondays and Thursdays at 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. Right here in the Ad Symbol universe. <laughs> That's right. Um, but uh, Twitch, though, had a little bit of a shakeup of its own. And I wanted you to uh, expand upon that right here in the A block. Yeah, basically what's going on with, uh, for those of you who are brand new to what all of this is, it is a live streaming platform. It is where anybody can flip on their camera and do something creative, whether that is strumming a guitar, doing a cooking show, talking sports or politics or stocks, um, or it's most famously known for people flipping on their camera and streaming themselves playing video games. So uh, the service is called twitch.tv. Um, it's fascinating to me on many levels because it, the interactive component, while you are live streaming, viewers can be chatting to you and talking to you um, in massive amounts of people can be doing this. Uh, so there are some streams on the platform where they'll have 20 or 30,000 viewers at a single time, all enjoying the broadcast, all talking about the broadcast and interacting with the live streamer. It just, it just takes the element of entertainment, live entertainment to another stratosphere that I've never seen or experienced before, which is why I opted to create a, my own show on Twitch so that I could experiment with this process and understand it better. So, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, 
founder of AdSumble, of course, the company that sponsors the Ad Hero podcast. My mind is always working on trying to understand things and wanting to uh, participate in them to to kind of figure them out, right? I'm a, a very inquisitive type of person. So doing this process, jumping into creating my own live streaming show on the platform of Twitch to kind of experiment what's happening with it and have that uh, understanding. One thing you find out very quickly is um, you do not make a lot of money off of all the hours of time that you put into the broadcast. And this was the big news that has just come out. Twitch is now going to be rolling out a way that creators can be earning more money from the time that they're putting into broadcasting themselves on the platform. So previously, you would broadcast yourself on the platform and they might show an ad before your stream starts. That's known as a pre-roll ad. Um, Also, while you're streaming, Gino's actually seen my stream a few times. Uh, you've seen some ads pop up while I've been streaming, correct, Gino? That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, and and these ads can last anywhere from 15 seconds to 30 seconds. And it kind of basically kind of like takes over the screen. Gino sees the ad. And then um, I think it says at the top something like, hang around for this ad break. And then we're going to take you right back to the MGO Snaps stream, something like this, right? Yeah, I think so. So um, when that happens, as the creator... Twitch would kick me down 10 or 15 cents per ad play. Not a lot of money considering how many hours I'm pouring into the platform and, 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 and the effort that I'm putting in to make the show engaging and fun and keeping viewers around. Well, now they're coming out just last week. This is breaking news. They're now coming out with a program where you can actually earn 55% more revenue on certain ads. Now there's some caveats. The caveats are you have to be a creator that has a certain size audience. So this is not just going to be instantly available for all people on Twitch. You have to have a certain size audience and then you'll be qualified to start earning more money for the ads that they show while you're streaming. Um, they're also going to make a game. They're going to kind of gamify it a little bit. And let me explain that. How they're going to gamify it is basically like um, every single month, they'll have a certain program that you can opt into that says, like, for example, for the month of July, if you stream 80 hours um, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m., 80 hours, between those, you'll qualify to have this particular ad shown on your stream. And if that happens, you're going to get a flat payout of, let's say, $500. So that's an example of something that they've never done before where they've given you like a guaranteed flat payment because the big, the big thing with Twitch is it's very hard to gauge how much money am I going to earn each month. If I stream 40 hours, am I going to earn $200 if I stream or $2,000 if I stream 80 hours, will I earn $3,000? Like it's very all over the place. So what they're trying to do with this new program is help you be a little bit more predictable on your earnings. But again, the caveat being it's only going to be for certain people that have a certain audience size. So I think it remains to be seen how this program really adapts and how these creators that get access to it, if they really think it's worth the time, the money. Having heard that, Gino, what is your thoughts? You know, it kind of reminds me of when YouTube was doing something similar uh, and okay. eventually did. 
um, okay. with its uh, creator space. Um, it just sounds like too good of a deal. Yep. Like 55%. I think that's supposedly. Yeah. But again, you don't know what that base number is. And I think that's the big uh, Twitch is very hush hush uh, about how much, because they're owned by Amazon. So Amazon does not have to break out how much money Twitch is making. Right. Like when Amazon is a public traded company, when Amazon reports its earnings, they can, they can just report the top line level Everything that Amazon does is $1 trillion, let's say. They don't have to break it out and say, just the Twitch piece is this, right? And so nobody really knows how much money Twitch is making off all these ads. It can only be assumed that they're making a lot. And now they're kind of feeling the pressure where some of these creators are like, hey, I'm putting in all the sweat, blood, effort to bring a really good show to Twitch to get a lot of audience members to watch it, you better start paying me more money per advertisement. And that's yeah. an interesting dynamic that's taking place right now. So so they have other streams of revenue coming in to take its place so they can basically sacrifice that percentage of commission correct. to the content creator. Uh, I, I mean, hey, I mean, hey, look, what was it? Amazon's a $3 trillion company or some craziness like that. Right. Um, yeah, so they can afford it. I'm sure in other ways too, they're getting something on the back end of it. Right. A Amazon is designed to not fail. They just That's have right. to, they just have to pay their employees or in this case, their creators, uh, well enough to actually stick on the, the a platform because, Hey, uh, like we did in a previous episode, uh, there's other platforms for these gamers. To, to go on to, to actually right. uh, showcase a game. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, heck, I go on to Facebook every once in a while and I see these gamers and it's, it's insane. Right. And it's like, wow, really? They, they got it all on Facebook as well. Uh, and then gaming, what's the other one? What's the other competition? Uh, YouTube, YouTube gaming. YouTube gaming. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But uh, yeah, some, some good stuff happening here in the A block. Uh, but uh, what do you think? Should we wrap it up and hit the uh, head into the interview? What do you say? Yeah, I think we should. That's going to do it here for the A Block. Uh, coming up next, uh, how is your business is marketing going to survive in this crazy world? Well, Frederick Valles from co-founder of Optimizer says he has the answer. And we'll be right back after this message. So we broke this interview up into two parts like we always do here on the Ad Hero Podcast. This week, we're going to be discussing how to market your business in an unpredictable world. And next week, in a bonus episode, Frederick Valleys will continue to get more in-depth about the tech industry. You're going to want to tune into both parts. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. One of Google's first 500 employees, he helped pioneer PPC's marketing as the company's first AdWords evangelist. He's an author and Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Today, he serves as co-founding CEO of Optimizer, a leading and award-winning PPC management platform. Vedric Valles is here to talk about marketing in an unpredictable world. Mr. Valles, thank you for coming onto the program. Thanks for having me, Gino, and call me Fred. Oh, Fred. Okay. Fred. Good, good, good. Yeah, hey. Let's, 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 we like to keep it informal around here at the Ad Hero Podcast. Come on. 
We do. We do. Yeah. Um, well, most sites I sold you. Yeah. Most sites I saw you on, like it, it said Frederick, but then I did see one that's, that said Fred. So I was kind of interested. Well, that, that, that's like, uh, you know, I'm very bad at branding. So my, my name is Frederick, but everyone calls me Fred. And I like, I still haven't been able to decide which am I going to go with. So when I write a book, it's like Frederick. When I write a blog post, it's Frederick. But in conversation, like, yeah, I just go with Fred. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. It's great. Um, well, first question is like, Ad Symbol has had like a lot of business. And we, we work with like a, a lot of people who've recovered from the lockdowns. Um, there's been businesses that have county restrictions from COVID, uh, you know, and just overall, we live in an unpredictable world. A, a company comes to you and asks for help navigating in digital marketing. What is your process to help navigate them in the right direction? Yeah. I mean, I think just coming into digital marketing is the right approach, right? Because digital means flexible. Um, and, and so it's something like Google ads, like I'm a Google ads guy, like I'm not going to lie about it. I'm about keywords being typed into Google. Um, and so that, that's so great because in the pandemic in an ever changing world where like everything's crazy, like you know, this week, actually I have COVID for the first time in two and a half years. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, I, I, st I still have it, but you know, I can't give it to you right now. So, uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, as things are changing, people are just going to go to that search box and they're going to type in what they what they want. And that intent, as it's changing right in the beginning of the pandemic, it was a lot about, hey, how do I cancel my trip? And then it was about how do I get toilet paper? And now it's about like, why can't I get a digital camera from Sony? Right. Or how long is the wait time for a Tesla? Uh, that's so perfect because you as the marketer. You can tap into that demand and you only have to answer that demand if you actually can right so if you're in the same boat like a lot of other retailers and you don't have these sony cameras in stock well then don't buy the keywords right spend your money somewhere else and that's ultimately i think why digital marketing is so great because it allows you to respond almost in real time to this ever-changing landscape you're a your company optimizer seems to drive into a lot of data analytics to help companies perform to their best. Uh, how accurately can the AI predict outcomes based on the company's data? Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what my book is about, right? So here, I'll, I'll show it to everyone on level the playing field. It's my second book, but basically the problem with data is that it's, it's really easy for a machine to find signals within the data, but that data is not necessarily everything that your business uh, runs on. Um, and so as an example, like when Google's going to decide to show one ad versus another ad, they were very good in the beginning of the pandemic to figure out that people shifted from being in the office to working from home. And so location-based signals about, okay, do we have high conversion rate in this zip code where maybe like the Google headquarters is located? Well, that very quickly dispersed because all these people were no longer in that zip code in that office. And so the machine was really good at quickly learning from that and, and, and kept like making that pivot. But here's the thing that the machine was never able to do was like, well, people don't want to go into stores for a while and they want to do a buy online pickup in store or like curbside pickup. And so that's the type of thing where the machine is not going to figure that out. You as the business owner, you know what is that shift in consumer behavior and buyer behavior and you have to put those two pieces together and so ultimately i don't think it's one or the other machine versus human that's best it's that combination of both right let the machine do what it does best which is 
big data analysis, but you try to bring in the components of data that Google may not have access to, um, and you layer that on top of everything, and now you get better results than your competitors. Frederick, how much data will your clients need in order to help with their digital marketing? So the beauty is they actually don't need very much at all. And here's the crazy thing. If you come in as a brand new advertiser on Google ads, you literally need zero conversions for it to know how you're going to convert, right? And the, the, the point is there's so many advertisers on Google. Google sees so much data and they can figure out, oh, well, this new advertiser that we don't know anything about, they're in the same vertical. They have the same sort of keywords they want to go after. Like, let's compare that to other advertisers in that same industry. And maybe let's layer in like location-wise, um, you know, is it different in the San Francisco Bay Area versus the New York area? And so from the go, Google is able to make predictions. And now the beauty is as you of your own get more data, then of course the machine starts to sway a little bit more in the direction of let's make decisions based on Fred's company, as opposed to like the generalities of the industry that Fred is in. Um, but that's kind of the beauty. You don't need that much data to get started. And then really any point from say 30, 50 conversions per month, Google's able to do a pretty good job with just your data. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around the upcoming change to G4 as they get ready to retire the universal analytics uh, platform, as I've come to understand. Um, now, I guess the the deal is there's some information on the current Google Analytics, which they're now deeming to be um, kind of like infringing on people's privacy or something along those lines. So that's why they're retiring certain elements of Google Analytics, which gives you this, you know, incredibly powerful insights into your, you know, what's happening with the traffic that you're receiving, either from organic traffic or from paid traffic. So what, what, how much do you know about G4 and those changes, some of those metrics that are going away? Um, and is it something that you're looking forward to or something that you also think it's going to be really have a pretty big paradigm shift in how search engine marketers kind of look at the whole dynamic of this, this whole process? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge question. Uh, let me see how I can quickly answer that. Right. But so, if you look at the web in general and Google ads and Google analytics, there's been a continuous movement towards more and more privacy. And so even a number of years ago, advertisers could look at the, the query string when Google sent a click to your website and you could see exactly what that user had searched for, whatever they put in the query box. That went away, right? If you look at advertisers, Google has gone up and down in terms of how much search query data they show. And so the, the point is you choose a keyword, but it's not exactly that keyword that the user typed in. It may have been a variation of it. So Google would sometimes show you that data. Sometimes they don't show you that data. And so I think we're all kind of getting used to the fact that, you know, the web is becoming more private. So we just have to learn how to live within that. Now, yeah. at the same time with GA4, uh, we also have to acknowledge that the web is becoming, is very different from Google Analytics, right? And I was involved in the acquisition of Google Analytics. It was called Urchin at the time at Google. It was a small company out of San Diego and they were innovative because they were like really the first ones that were putting all of this stuff in the cloud. So you didn't have to install anything on your 
web server machines that would then like go and process the data, but it would do it all on the fly based off of JavaScript code. And that worked really well when the web was about, I go from one page to another page and another page. But now that doesn't happen anymore. Like you go in Gmail, you're not reloading pages. You're clicking on a ton of stuff and it's showing you different things on the page, but the URL stays the same, right? And that, that doesn't work with legacy analytics. And so you had these complicated hacks for tracking events. GA4 is much more thinking about like this privacy first mechanism and also about the fact that the web is much more events driven as opposed as opposed to page reloads. And so yeah. anything that Google's doing here, I'm on board, like make it easier for me. But at the same time, yeah, it is kind of a pain because I like we operate um, legacy Google Analytics um, and now we have to go to the new one. So yeah, I have to figure stuff out, but it's <laughs> just a matter of time uh, and I would have had to do it anyway. Okay, uh, quick quick follow on question for you here. Uh, it, so, are you saying that you feel with the change of the web events as opposed to page reloads and stuff like that? How how much would you say if someone's listening to this episode and they're thinking about design elements for their website for their landing page as opposed to because I you know I come across sites all the time where I put in a keyword and I click the first result and I know it's an ad, it says it's an ad and you have basically like a landing page that someone's made for that purpose of trying to capture the conversion, capture the lead. And then other instances where maybe in the organic section of the search results, it just takes me to the same company's generic website where there's lots of links, lots of things for me to click on and stuff like that. So how, you know, is this dynamic of like event-based analytical tracking do you feel that that's going to fundamentally change like the focal point of web design and, and landing page design and, and websites as a whole? What's your thoughts on that? I think it's, it's like flipping it around, right? So the web has already gone the way of good design. I mean, most companies that are successful today are successful because they've uh, created something that's easy to use, that's pleasant to use. Mm. But then tracking it and knowing exactly what happens can be challenging. And so I think the analytics is just catching up with that new way of, of doing the internet. Mm. Um, and, and then by the way, like to, to your point, if you're advertising, like obviously you're going to take someone to a landing page that's dedicated to the thing the user just searched for, because that experience of, I searched for a, a dozen red roses. And now I come to a website, which is like flowers.com. And it shows me tulips and sunflowers. And like, that is a waste of my time, right? I want mm. a page that shows me the roses because I already told Google that's what I wanted. Um, and that's kind of the power too of advertising is that you're not stuck with whatever Google thinks is organically relevant, but you can actually take them to like, Hey, do you know, like buy a dozen and we'll give you the next dozen for free or half off. Right. Mm. So uh, that's the beauty of advertising. And again, it's back to that flexibility point I made in the beginning. Like you test it out and like tomorrow you see, it's not really working the way you thought it would change it i mean it literally takes you five minutes and that new ad is up and running new landing page new keywords new budget wow. powerful yeah great great answer thank you for that uh, Gino, go ahead yeah uh what was the catalyst for starting optimizer yeah so i worked at google for about 10 years and i was involved in uh, a lot of the fundamentals of the ad system so i worked on quality score conversion tracking um actually conversion tracking didn't exist when I joined Google, so and that's kind of like surprising to a lot of people that at one point we did advertise online fairly blindly. Uh, we didn't know what keywords were converting. 
Um, right, so it adds editor, AdWords editor. That's one of the things that I was on the, uh, the founding team of. And then I leave Google and I'm like, oh my God, it's actually really tedious to manage a lot of the elements of online advertising that I thought we'd done a pretty good job at while I was working at Google. And so I said, well, I know there's a couple of gaps, especially for those expert advertisers. Let me go and see how I can fix those. And, and I started writing scripts and I started working with my co-founders, uh, building API technologies. And so uh, we just were like, managing ads successfully, PPC ads successfully takes a ton of time. We can save you time. Um, I was just talking to someone recently who's like started using Optimizer and she, she said she got her life back, right? She <laughs> can actually see her kids again. That's a cool testimonial. You, you want to put that on the homepage. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, that would, look, that would look really good on a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> Optimizer. Yeah, I got my life back. Thank exactly. you, Optimizer. Uh, going back to your days of the, at um, Alphabet, um, how'd you come up with the concept of uh, pay-per-click? Well, so I was in terror when pay-per-click was invented. And in fact, it was invented before Alphabet, right? So it was invented by GoTo and Bill Gross, um, Overture later on, and then Yahoo. In fact, Google got sued. And this was funny because Google got sued for having taken that technology um, and commercialize it much more successfully. And so they were like, well, we want one, one quarter's worth of revenue. And at the time, I think that was like a paltry million dollars or something. And then it just took off, right? And we all know these days, Google makes what, $60 billion of revenue in a quarter, most of it driven by online advertising. Um, and so these guys from Overture, they got a million dollars for that technology. So, wow. but, um, <laughs> that's a great story <laughs> that, yeah that that reminds me of the uh the third co-founder of apple right he cashed out his stock like in 1970 or something like that i forget what I his name is, that is. Like that's right yeah no, most people don't but if you look it up there was actually a third co-founder of apple computer cashed out his stock like uh right before they took out and they said today he got like eight thousand bucks for it back in 1970 or something like that but today it'd be worth like $67 billion. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Anyways, go. <laughs> uh, Matthew, you want to go? Uh, yes. It's, uh, uh, okay. So number nine, what are some of the uh, price points that clients pay and are willing to pay for a digital marketing experience uh, by Optimizer? Yeah. I mean, I just told you, you can get your life back. What's that worth to you? Yeah. Backs. <laughs> backs. Yeah. Right. No, uh, but we're actually quite affordable. And that was the other thing when I came into, um, so when I left Google and I started doing a little bit of consulting and I was frustrated by how slow the tools were, I was also frustrated by how expensive they were. So we had tool vendors that came in and they said, well, we want five to 10% of the spend that you managed through us. And I was like, well, but I'm an agency. Like I charge my client 10%. How do I make a living that way? Um, and so the decent price point was very important to us and we've stuck to that. So uh, existing customers that signed up with us nine years ago, they still pay the price that they signed up at that time, right? So we're very um, thankful for those customers having helped us in the beginning. I want to reward them with like uh, much better pricing. But if you look at price points nowadays, it really starts at just about 224 a month. Uh, and in fact, we did launch a free version. So if you manage less than 10,000, Per month in ad spend for a single business, you can use Optimizer Lite, L-I-T-E. Uh, look it up on our website and it is completely free. Nice. 
So, so with the $224, basically they get a monthly consultation or they get some sort of a, do they get feedback from the team, like a personal account manager or something like this? No. So that'd be really, really cheap. Um, so we're software. So it is a software solution. Okay. Uh, we have an awesome support team. People love our support. They're really responsive. So if you go in and you look at one of our optimization suggestions, that's based on the data of your account and you're confused by it, reach out to the team. They'll walk you through it. They'll help you out. Uh, but we won't necessarily go in and be like, okay, here's what we would do for your scenario. But the beauty though, is that so much of this is data driven, right? Like we can look at your existing account and based on the signals, we can make recommendations. And that's what we do. We give you optimization suggestions that are different from Google. Um, so Google sometimes may be a bit more focused on uh, increasing click-through rates and increasing cost per clicks. We're more focused on helping you drive more conversions at a lower cost per acquisition. So, uh, you know, you kind of take those two sets of suggestions and you see which ones make more sense for your business. And to be clear for our listeners uh, or people watching this on YouTube, which they should be, as we look on YouTube, <laughs> is the optimizer platform uh, like so a user would sign up and then they would just basically link their Google AdWords account into the optimizer dashboard and then they would be utilizing the optimizer dashboard to kind of manage bids and keywords and stuff like that or uh, do they still have to independently use the AdWords uh, site, but they come to Optimizer just to get suggest, you know, um, optimizations, recommendations and stuff like that? Yeah, so you can log into Optimizer and anything that we recommend that you change, we give you the way to change it through a one-click optimization, right? So we nice. don't expect you to go back and like take 5,000 suggestions and then tediously go through them. That's, that's exactly how we save time. It's like, here's what we suggest based on the data. Uh, we don't actually force you to take everything. So you can go through it and you can say, well, I want to add a little bit of my own methodology on top of that. So you change the conditions and then you say, go ahead and apply it. Uh, cool. Now that said, there are certain things you'll still want to do in the Google ads interface. Uh, one of the ways that we keep the tool affordable is by not reinventing the wheel. So Google does a really great job with certain aspects. If we don't think we can help you be more efficient, then log into Google. It's a free tool. You already have it. We'll focus on the stuff where you get frustrated because Google makes it too slow for you. Interesting. In regards to the data, you know, there's like a lot of users that are still kind of worried about that. Like us in marketing, I mean, you know, we want as much data as uh, possible. Um, how do we re relieve the concerns that people have with the data? And then a follow-up question to that. In the next like 10 to 20 years, how do you see like the algorithms and the AI uh, kind of like gathering up all this data? Yeah, so that's where the privacy efforts are really being driven by the big companies, um, right? And so it is really real about third-party cookies. There's a lot of sketchy stuff that happens with third-party cookies where a user is on one site and they don't know they're being tracked by all of these other websites. And then they kind of get pissed off. So it's, it's about cleaning that up, transparency, making sure users understand what's being done with their data. And that's going to continue. Um, but at the end of the day, when you look at the big players like Google, like they have really good ways of still that it's their first party data. Like the user went to Google, interacted with them, and they can give um, ways for advertisers to use that insight to still target people, uh, not on a one-to-one -one basis, right? But, but still on a way of saying, oh, well, the, here's a group of people who really care about sports or they may be in the market for a new vehicle. Um, so that's going to continue. And then in the next 10 to 20 years, I mean, God, that's such a long date range. 
when you think about the fact that Moore's law, computing power doubles every 18 months. Mm. Uh, you think of where we are in now with like artificial intelligence, the things it can do nowadays, like I just looked at a new technology where you can basically type in uh, a caption. So you can say uh, a funny monkey wearing a hat, watching a movie, and it'll actually make a photo, not a, not a drawing, a photo of that exact thing. And that's using like all these neural networks. Like a year ago, nobody could imagine that. Um, and so if you think that computing power doubles and the data that the world has doubles every 18 months, like in five to 10 years, uh, it's going to be mind boggling what automation is going to do. Let, uh, Jan, I just want to ask one more quick question here before we wrap it up. Uh, going back to your early days there at Google, when you were kind of seeing all of this kind of come together, uh, you know, you mentioned that they took the software from uh, Urchin and, and commercialized it way better. So that's, what, what were some of those elements? I think, I think it'd be really uh, educational and, and to, to understand from your perspective, because you were there seeing it all kind of manifest and, and unfold. What, what did you take away from being in, in, in watching that experience happen? How were they able to grow and get the interest level so high so quickly and optimize the, the experience and get so many advertisers to start gravitating towards trying it out from, from what you saw? Yeah, I mean, I think the web was kind of broken before Google came along. Um, and the problem was it, the web was trying to be free, but the way that it was supporting itself was through punch the monkey ads and credit card offers and like everything that you know, basically shows up in your mailbox today, but it's like not targeted. It's not what I need right now. And Google just figured out how to make it targeted. And they, they said, well, if someone does a search, like you get organic listings, but ads are information too, right? I mean, if I'm looking for a new pillow and you sell pillows, then show me those pillows. Like me sure. as you, I'm going to be super happy. And what they did is they combined the relevance component with the cost per click component. And they put those two together and that's what makes the ad auction so powerful. So all the incentives between advertisers, publishers, and searchers all of a sudden magically aligned and boom, they were off to the races. Wow. And that's really what set it apart. Wow. That's incredible. That is incredible. Uh, what does Optimizer have in store for the next few years and how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So Optimizer is really thinking about that whole wave of automation, right? So as the ad engines automate more and more, of uh, the things that you used to do manually, what is your value add? Uh, and again, the title of my latest book is Unlevel the Playing Field. And the point is, automation is leveling the playing field. Everyone has a fair chance of getting good results. But you, you're listening, you don't want good or average results. You want amazing results. And so there are techniques that you can deploy to uh, tip the playing field back in your favor. And so we're really thinking about automation layering, which is one technique that brings your insights to those really sophisticated machine learning AI systems from Google and uh, tilts it back in your favor. Right? And so that's mm. what we're working on for the next bunch of years here. Fantastic. And how, how, how can uh, our listeners uh, get a hold of you or reach out to the website and get started? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at Silicon Valleys, uh, spelled like my last name, V A L L. Nice. Yes. And uh, optimizer funny spelling, O P T M Y Z R.com. Uh, but just Google it, right? You got most of the misspellings will pop up in there. And uh, that's how to get a hold of us. Very cool. Very cool. Magic Valleys, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. And we hope you come back soon. Likewise. It's great being here. 
Thank you so much, Frederick. We appreciate you. Ad Hero Podcast. Matthew, do you have any final thoughts about marketing in an unpredictable world here? Yeah, that was a really interesting interview with Frederick. Uh, Just the fact that so many things are going to be changing with regards to cookies and tracking and data about what you can gather from people on your website, how they're interacting with your website. It's going to be really critical to, in order to make sense of things in this unpredictable world, it's going to be very critical to utilize programs like Optimizer to find trends in the data that is available to us. So as big tech companies are like Apple and Google are going to be taking away some of that data to protect users' best interests, make things a little bit more privacy-geared, the remaining data that is going to be accessible to all of us as business owners, you're going to have to get extra tight on understanding what that data tells you so that you can optimize the user's experience and obviously increase your own profits and become more efficient as a business operator. Um, Very, very fascinating interview and it remains to be seen um, how this is all going to play out, but definitely um, take a look at Optimizer's website for sure. Excellent. Excellent. All right. That about do it for the ad hero podcast. Follow us online through social media at ad symbol on our YouTube page. Give us a like. And subscribe and hit that notification bell to be notified about all future Ad Hero podcasts. (laughs) And always don't forget to leave a comment or question below and let us know your thoughts. Also, make sure to catch us on our new channel or actually channels on rumble.com. That's right. We are on rumble.com. And we want to thank – I personally just want to thank all the viewers who have been checking us out on Rumble. I think they're giving us a chance, better chance than they have over at YouTube in my opinion. So keep it coming, Rumble. Keep it coming. Uh, For inquiries and more information about outdoor advertising, visit our site, adsymbol.com. Find us online on all major podcast platforms. And also, if you want to become a supporter – of the Ad Hero podcast, you can do so by going over to anchor.fm and going to our little support channel right there. And you can donate whatever you want, whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, and and you can be a, uh, a Ad Hero affiliate almost, if you will. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to come up with a, we're going to have to come up with a name uh, for, for, for the listeners that, that pledge some 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 love and some welfare our way through uh the ad hero podcast uh sponsor supporters maybe maybe they'll get a supporter shield uh badge or something like that we'll, we'll come up that sounds we'll come up with some sort of great. superhero-esque type thing to kind of help show uh other people that you guys are supporting us because hey listen we uh love what we get to do on the on the podcast the podcast is growing we're seeing the numbers go up we're very excited about that uh but we do invest uh, resources and our time into this. So if you want to show us some love and support us with a couple dollar donation a month, we would we would greatly appreciate that and and uh, we would feel that love. So thank you in advance for that consideration. And you can also leave a voicemail if you have a particular question you have or you want to uh, ask right here on the Ad Hero podcast. You go to anchor.fm backslash the hyphen ad hero hyphen podcast 
and you can leave us a voicemail. We will play that nice. voicemail and we will answer that voicemail right here on the show. There it is. So that about does it for the Ad Hero Podcast. My name is Gino Giovanni. And I'm Matthew Olivieri. Signing out. Go Dubs.